The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 62 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not that of my present and past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So I think it was a very cool and different show last week that we had with Khaled Fattel. I mean, he, he, well, Khaled, first of all, he's the chairman of the MLI group, if you missed it. And I think it's a, it was a really healthy conversation for us to have, talking about solving some problems in different ways and having some different ideas about how to spur the discussion around some of these issues that we're facing. And it's just sort of refreshing in some ways, it's just to have a discussion that's just different. It's different than the same old way of doing things. And it's also exciting. It's exciting to talk to people who are out there trying to solve some of the most serious problems that we're facing today in society and approaching these problems from a very different perspective. So I don't know if you guys watched the trailer that I posted on social media for the era of the unprecedented investigative program that Khaled is producing, but I thought it was pretty interesting. I mean, I would watch it. I would definitely watch it when it comes out. I'm definitely going to watch the program to see what kind of subject matter experts are on and, and, and see what Khalid has to say about poli-cyber warfare. And, what, and that's what he calls it, poli-cyber warfare. And I think it's, uh, it's very interesting because he really has connected these two different security spaces. I mean, I've been in the security business for a long time, and I've always been interested in geopolitical issues. And since my early days in college, I've been interested in this kind of stuff especially how they intersect with threats and security issues. Now, it's not very hard to connect the threats we face in cybersecurity to direct threats to democracies around the world. And this is stuff that Khaled was talking about. And it does have a major role in sort of the issues and threats and some of the conflicts uh, around the world today. I mean, if one can say that this something may sound like a bunch of rhetoric or hyperbole, but the truth of the matter is, is that cybersecurity threats are one of the most critical national security threats, if not the top threat to the national security of the United States today. And I don't think anyone out there is going to dispute that. There might be a few people, but some of the most senior intelligence officials in the country are on the record stating that this is the case. And so last week's show, very interesting. If you get a chance to listen to last week's episode about the error of the unprecedented investigative program 
I would encourage you to go back, find your favorite playback medium, and have a listen. That's Khaled Fatel, chairman of the MLI Group, on episode number 60 of Task Force 7 Radio. So if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on playback. You can find TF7 Radio on a total of nine different playback mediums, including iTunes.com, Google Play, TuneIn.com, Stitcher.com, Player.fm, Overcast.fm, ListenNotes.com, the show's very own website at TaskForce7Radio.com, and of course, the number one internet talk radio producer in the world, and VoiceAmerica.com. So, all in all, nine different options to get your TF7 radio fix. We're everywhere, folks. You can't miss us. If you Google Task Force 7 Radio, you get all your options. Check us out. TF7 Radio playback in your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, please, please, please don't forget to subscribe. And then, you know, let's talk a little bit more about subscriptions because lots of great feedback on the TF7 Extra episode last week. Uh, I'm definitely going to keep that going and do more of these special episodes whenever I get a chance. You know, we banged out another one on the Cora Breach, and I think, you know, that gave some folks some good food for thought that they're not hearing about in the mainstream news media. So that got a lot of feed- good feedback as well, even though it's only been out for a couple of days. Some people hit me up on social media and say, hey, look, you know, keep it coming, right? So I really think people kind of like the current news and analysis episodes that we're doing. I think it goes out you know, over very well, and it goes out to a lot of folks, especially the people that are subscribed, because you know, they get the notification right away. Hey, we got some, you know, breaking news. You know, TF7 is covering some analysis and news in the information security space, and they're going to get the listen to the show. And it's having that mix of in-depth conversations with the Tier 1 professionals that we're doing on our weekly shows like we're doing tonight, along with the shorter current news and analysis episodes that I think people really appreciate and find valuable. So I'm going to keep that going and, and monitor the audience for suggestions and feedback. So keep all the uh, suggestions coming. All right. I read everything that you guys sent in to me. So of course we have another tier one professional with us this evening. One of my old friends from the JP Morgan Chase days over at the Death Star on Park Avenue is going to be with us, Mr. Tomas Maldonado. A little bit about Tomas. Tomas is currently the chief information security officer at International Flavors and Fragrances, where he is globally responsible for establishing and leading their entire information security program. Tomas has over 20 years of experience in cybersecurity, having led global information teams and programs at several large organizations. Prior to joining uh, IFF, Maldonado was an executive director and CISO for the corporate sector of J.P. Morgan Chase, where he established and shaped the future direction of the security program and focus for the line of business, which is very cool. He was also a VP of Technology Risk Management at Goldman Sachs, where he worked on a number of key initiatives, namely creating and leading the Data Loss Protection Program. He had additional opportunities at Schroeder's, where he was the Network Security Officer, and of course at Ernst & Young and Bloomberg LP as well. So he's got a, a huge amount of experience. He holds a bachelor's degree in computer science and a bunch of different certifications. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tomas Maldonado. Tomas, welcome to the show, brother. I'm glad to have you on. George, great to great to talk to you. Great to be on the show. I really appreciate you inviting me on, and uh, you know I'm looking forward to uh, sharing my thoughts and having a great show with you. I, I, I'm a fan of the show. I've listened to a few of your episodes, and uh, you know you you always ask some very intriguing and interesting questions, and you know keep us CISOs and and other listeners, uh, you know, on our edge of our sort of seats, listening in, trying to get some good advice. So, really, really excited to be on the show, and happy to be here. Thanks, Tomas. I'm really happy to have you on. 
I, I love your story, bro. I mean, you started out life with some very humble beginnings growing up with minimal resources in a very hard-nosed area of the Bronx, and you were educated in the New York City public school system. You know, you obtained your college education at Fordham. As I mentioned, you obtained all these senior positions that are with some of the most sought-after employers in the world at Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase. So first off, really, what motivated you to get into the information security field, and, and you know, how did you get to these jobs? I mean, it's just an incredible career path. Did you have a dream job in mind when you decided, hey, I'm going to, you know, pursue this CISO role that you have today? You know, George, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I think I've, it's been a combination of luck, being prepared, and having good mentorships along the way, right? That has really helped me sort of uh, be where I am today. You know, I, I didn't set out to be a CISO. I, you know, when we started doing security you know, years ago, right? So I've been doing this for over 20 years now. You know, they didn't teach this in the schools. They didn't necessarily uh, have a, a specific profession, right, along the lines of a, of a CISO. If you think about the CISO title, it's 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 been around for a very short period of time compared to all the other C-level sort of titles that are out there. You know, on my background, you know, as I studied in, in Fordham, I, I was a computer science major, and I thought my, my path forward was really to be a programmer, right? And I, and I always say I stumbled into doing security, and, and the reason for that was, you know, when I what I realized very early on in my sort of college career while I was wrapping that up and, and early on in my, my um, overall career and profession was that I, I'm, I'm more of a, a person that likes to, you know, get out there, have conversations, discuss different topics and really help the business, you know, make business decisions to continue to be profitable. And so, you know, I, I was along the lines of starting my journey in this, in this career. And, you know, I, it was along the early days of, of the internet and the internet was starting to kind of boom and, and dot coms was, were, were really taking off. And when I started learning, you know, security, it was really by way of, of a job transition. I was transitioning from, uh, you know, from one of my first early jobs at Bloomberg where I was, you know, a, a, a second level network support person. And I, and, you know, I was transitioning from that to, to my job at Schroeder's. And, you know, I, I had no aspirations of, of going into security because, it, one, I had no idea what it was. Uh, but I knew what folks that had certifications that were CCIEs and were traveling the world and setting up networks and setting up the Internet, you know, I knew what those individuals did. And, and so that was my, my sort of path in life, if you will. But I took on this job at Schroeder's where I was a network security officer and I, and I went in, you know, I interviewed, they, they, they offered me the position. Uh, I was afforded a lot of training along the lines of doing security training and getting more deeper into, into early, you know, early ages of, of intrusion prevention systems, intrusion detection systems, and getting really, really technical, right? I, I used to do a lot of hands-on penetration assessments and the likes. And that, you know, that, was essentially it for me. That sort of wow factor of being able to, you know, get into a machine and have almost have your way with that machine, you know, really set my trajectory of being a, a, a security professional. You know, I, I'll honestly say that these days I, I don't do any of those things anymore. I'm not the uh, the technical C security person as I was, you know, many, many years ago. But you know, that was, that sort of uh, hooked me, right? And that, and that got me interested in the field um, as I continued down the path of my career and, and started to have all these opportunities at these other, you know, major financial institutions, you know, and be part of a, a team of individuals that were really, you know, excellent 
excellent individuals under excellent leadership. You know, I've worked for some of the best CISOs in the world and, you know, I've had that sort of privilege and, and almost luxury, if you will, to, to sit with those individuals and pick their, pick their brains and really learn from them. And what I realized very early on is that I enjoyed doing a lot of hands-on security, but I really enjoyed helping to build and structure a program, helping to drive and, and get individuals motivated and excited around the topic of security and really um, helping the company understand the value of a security person being, a, a, you know, having that seat at the table. And so that that's, you know, I wouldn't say I had a dream job in mind, but you know, heck, if I could have written this script many years ago, I, I would say this is probably one of my, you know, one of the best uh, things that I've done in my career, and, and it's very close to uh, to my dream job. So I'm excited. So this, excited this about just this goes question. to show you, I mean, what you're saying right now is a, a perfect example of you can't put a price on who you work for, right? A lot of people, uh, they go to, and they go work in the organizations, and they, you know, when they choose a job, they know who they're going to go work for, and it's so important to work for someone that's going to help you, that's going to teach you, it's going to mentor you, and this is like a great example of that and how it just sort of transformed your whole career path so you fast forward now and you're the CISO of IFF. And so that's a bit of a change from these financial service industry companies where you spent the majority of your career early on. And how would you say it compares or differs from your financial services days? I know finance is, is definitely a, a different animal, but how much did working at these huge financial powerhouses like Goldman and JP Morgan help your career, you think? You know, I think what, what, they, what they specifically helped me with was learning you know, how to stay ahead of, of the, you know, the adversary, right? Because those specific, those specific companies are under so much scrutiny, you know, they, by nation state, by individual threat actors, by, you know, script kiddies, uh, insider, <laughs> reg, you know, the regulators galore, right? So, you know, having to, having to sit with regulators almost quarterly to talk about a security function and program, you know, it keeps you on your toes, right? <laughs> right. You know, you, you would think, and, I, and I've heard from a few CISOs that are, you know, that are, that are very close to me, they say, oh, you know, Tomas, you've moved over to this, to this chemical manufacturing company and, and you're, you're sort of, um, you know, the, the profile in terms of what you're dealing with should, should be different, right? Because you're not in financial services anymore. But, you know, what I, the way I describe it is we, you know, we have very similar sort of traits, right? We have crown jewels that are important to us, you know, things like intellectual property and, and trade secrets, which are very similar and transferable from what you, what you see in, in financial services, right? If you think about what's really moving and motivating and driving a, a financial services institution. Um, so I have that sort of um, uh, concern, if you will. But I also have you know, everything else that, that comes in line with uh, being a publicly traded company and, and having uh, uh, individuals working at that company, right? So we have, you know, personal information. I've got employment information, compensation details, you know, a lot of, a, a whole host of, of very similar qualities that I need to worry about. I think one of the things that, that I see and, and, you know, maybe one of the major driving sort of, not so much driving, but differing, differing sort of perspective is, you know, in the financial services world, because you're so heavily regulated and scrutinized by these external regulators, it almost drives a different sort of conversation. And, and you know, to a certain extent, you could drive a conversation of being towards, towards like more compliant with regulations. Uh, in the industry that I'm in now, you know, I have to be more creative. I have to, you know, I have to 
do more really with, with less um, in terms of uh, uh, resources and, and the likes. And I have to be creative as to how we make investments, right? Because you, you don't have that enormous amount of uh, open pocketbook, if you will, that I remember in the financial services days of being able to go out and, and literally buy any, any greatest technology and put it you know, off the shelf and put it into your environment. Um, so, you know, very similar sort of uh, uh, trace in terms of how you approach the security program, right? What are your controls? What are you actually focused on? How are you uh, enabling the business to, be, to, to continue to be profitable? You know, how are you actually outlining the security strategy so that you're not, you know, compromising and, and you're working towards a risk management sort of concept? Um, so it, it's not that much different. What I will say is, you know, I, I'm, and I probably shouldn't say this because, you know, now I might be at, uh, under attack, but, you know, we're not so extensively under attack as financial services, you know, like millions and trillions of attacks every millisecond of the day, you know, I have a different sort of threat profile in my, in my, uh, in my world and it's uh, yep, yep. more targeted, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the threat profile is different. I see that, you know, obviously the, the attack surface is different as well, but you know this is very interesting. I mean, we talk about the different kinds of CISOs on this show often, right? We we often bring out the different tribes that Gary McGraw authored and, and and talks about all the time. But how 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 would you describe yourself as a CISO? You know, I'm, I I try to be it, it at the heart of what I do. I'm an enabler, right? I'm, I'm that type of CISO that wants to sit with the business and, and enable the business to continue to, to take risks, right? And manage those risks, but while understanding the risks that they're taking and make sure that they're, all, they're calculated. But I'm also the CISO that'll, that'll, that'll change and have to be sort of technical when I need to be, if I need to go talk to, you know, to my IT uh, peers and partner with those individuals to essentially drive and execute the, the program, right? So, you know, they, they might joke with me and say I'm not as technical and I might think that I still am, but, you know, you have to adapt, right? right. I think the key thing is you have to adapt. Like at the heart of what I do and the, and the, and the crux of what I do is, you know, I'm, I'm the person that's presenting to the board. I'm the person that's uh, sitting in front of my executive committee and really trying to get them motivated around security, get them, you know, interested in investing in the program, get, have them, you know, have them see essentially the value that we add as security professionals, you know, at that seat at the table as we're doing things like M&A and and, and due diligence and, and the likes. But you have to be very agile and you have to adapt. And so, you know, even though that that's my main focus, I'm still sort of spread across. I'm the coach. I'm, I'm the CISO that's going to sit with my team and really get them motivated around the topic, get them motivated to, to continue to aspire in their careers, right? I, you know, I tell my team all the time, I, I want one of you to, to, to take me out and, and take my job. You know, I, I want to be able to, to, to move on and do something else. And, and if I've been able to be successful in teaching you and sharing all, everything that I've learned with you, then I, I've done a pretty good job from that respect. So, you know, it's really just being agile. Um, yep. and, and being, being present, right? Being present and understanding your business and understanding where your business is going. Uh, well, uh, you know, look, it speaks to the fact that CISOs just aren't supposed to have technical skills, right? I mean, this is something we talk about all the time and how your, your career has evolved here is a perfect example of that where you're in a very technical role and you're sort of in the weeds all the time. And now as, as the CISO, I think you, you're, you're definitely showing your business skills, your risk skills, your analytical skills, and, you know, speaking the language of the business and briefing the board and, you know, there's a lot of different things that goes into being a CISO other than just, you know, your technical prowess. So I hear a lot about the struggle 
about where the CISO role should fit in an organization. And I think it's, it's organization specific. We've had this conversation before a couple of times and I like to get the opinion of some folks from time to time because I think it, you know, it really changes and it depends on what kind of organization you have. But the organizational construct of the reporting model is often a significant point of debate in an organization. People kind of struggle about where it should report to. Where do you report in your organization and do you really think it matters? And does, you know, it, does it make a difference at all at the end of the day? Look, I, I think... I think depending on the organization and the maturity of the organization, it will definitely matter, right, to the success right. or failure of the security program and the, and the CISO and their function, right? So I currently report into the general counsel at my company and my boss reports into the CEO. Um, it allows us, you know, it allows us a few things, right? It allows me to have some level of independence, if you will, from that IT construct. Right? I, I'm, I'm that sort of challenge response. Um, for, for the company and, and, you know, my, my executive committee, my board and my, my CEO know that they can trust that when I'm going in to tell them something, I don't have any sort of hidden agenda or hidden motivations, if you will. And not saying that all, you know, sort of, I, if you, all CISOs that sit underneath IT, you know, kind of get lumped onto different motivations, but there is that sort of natural progression, right? If, you know, you have CISOs that sit underneath a CIO or CTO and, you know, you think about the competing priorities of both functions, right? They're both equally important, but which one is the one that wins at the end of the day? And I, and I think that raises very challenging and difficult questions that need to be answered by the organization if the organization is not in a sort of mature state, right? That's right. No, I, I agree. I think it makes a difference. A lot of people say, oh, you can just do this a hundred different ways. And a lot of people don't pay attention to it. But I got to tell you, I always think there's an optimal way to do something in an organizational construct. That's just how I think. Yeah, it, yeah no, look, I, I, I think as long as you have clear communication lines, right, clear accountability and responsibility delineated, and you have a clear understanding from everyone, in, everyone involved, Right, that understands their role. I think it almost doesn't matter where the where the the reporting structure lies, but I think you know we've have this old sort of mindset of of this is the hierarchy of an organization and this is how it should fit, you know, it, it, and it starts to you you start to get into the sort of blurred lines, right? Of of well, this is how we've done things. This should report into this world and and. This is how we, we kind of expect it. But I think CISOs, you know, I know one of the things that I try to do is to try to get um, closer to the business and really help run my function as if I was running a function like a regular business function. And so I think when you start to see CISOs take that sort of approach, you start to see a different level of, of uh, reporting structure and that aligns with how the organizations are essentially maturing. The other thing I'll say very quickly on this topic is, you know, depending upon the organization and who's regulating you, it might also drive a different conversation, right? You, you hear this, mo this model of a three lines of defense um, mm -hmm. in, in highly uh, regulated and mature organizations. And so you have CISOs that essentially are in that first line, right? And then you have this sort of concept of a chief information risk officer, that sort of risk management model in that second line with audit obviously being that, that third line of defense. So you almost see that natural progression of CISOs in that first line will probably stay underneath that sort of IT construct because that model is driving towards that end, right? And, and I think very few organizations start to split that out. Um, and then that second line, you see that as a separate sort of function where it's independent from that CISO function. So, 
you know, depending on where you are, which organization and, and really the budget that an organization has for these sort of different roles, because it is costly to have these different roles sitting in different areas um, and the maturity, it, it'll drive that conversation. But again, clarity on, on roles and accountabilities are, are very key. Um, and then partnering extensively with, with all your peer functions is, is, is um, extremely important to lead to the success of the program. Absolutely. Tomas, we've got to take a little break. Uh, but we'll be right back to pick your brain about a whole bunch of things, including some current trends that are going on in the industry. But hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on LinkedIn by searching at Task Force 7 Radio and on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio for any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, as well as other business communications. Please email me directly at george.redis at taskforce7radio.com. That's george.redis at Task Force 7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, folks. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with the Chief Information Security Officer of International Flavors and Fragrances, Mr. Tomas Maldonado, whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash GF7 to request a look at Inkman SOAR live in action. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with our special guest, the Chief Information Security Officer for International Flavors and Fragrances, Mr. Tomas Maldonado. So, Tomas, so we're going to talk about some trends on, on this segment. And, uh, you know, I want to get your opinion about some of the security trends that you're seeing and what you think is important in the marketplace and some of the things that you're sharing with your board these days. Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, I, I think there's a there's a bunch of stuff happening in the, across the industry, across the world, right, in terms of uh, security issues and security trends. Some of the key things that I'm specifically talking about with my board and I'm sure other boards are, are probably interested in the same sort of topics is, you know, we consistently see things like ransomware um, essentially taking out not only uh, states and, you know, we've seen states in the U.S., but we see rans- ransomware still becoming a problem or, or being a problem, if you will, right? where companies are essentially being impacted by, by this crippling sort of cyber attack. You know, I think the other things that we see is, you know, GDPR is, is going to have an effect, right? We, we've seen companies deal with these massive, massive data breaches in terms of data that they're losing. You know, we saw that with Equifax. We've seen that with Facebook and, you know, the latest one with, 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 the, uh, with the Marriott, you know, just, just the other day, right? I think GDPR and the impact of GDPR in terms of regulatory fines is going to essentially be a, a sort of topic for, you know, the remainder of this year, but really into 2019 to set the tone for how companies should be essentially behaving when it, when it comes to, uh, to these sort of massive data breaches, right, and the fines that they'll, they'll have to deal with. I think the other things that we're seeing and, and some of the things that I've shared in terms of like emerging threats and the likes is, you know, we, we still see passwords and, and emails essentially um, uh, email compromise, right? If you think about phishing emails and the likes where, you know, the, those sort of business email compromise are not going away. They're still profitable by, by attackers. You know, they, 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 they are very, very effective. And so, you know, there's so much data that's out there already, right, from all of these other breaches in terms of, you know, profiling an individual and targeting an individual to essentially uh, perform a, a business email compromise by way of a phishing attack. That you, you have to assume that that's just going to continue to rise and it's not going anywhere. And, then, you know, I think the, some of the things that I thought was a, a trend and I think it might be dying now now just because of cryptocurrency, you know, kind of taking a, a different sort of turn these past few uh, months, right, and maybe even the year, is that sort of uh, cryptocurrency mining, right, and those sorts of mining attacks. But you, if you think about those sorts of attacks where you, where you become compromised and your system resources are essentially being uh, taken over, you know, I think there'll probably just be a new way of how to abuse that sort of attack. And whether it's cryptocurrency mining or something else, I think that'll, that'll continue to, to, to happen. 
So with these latest breaches, do you think that, like the public is becoming numb to all this? Because they just see it it's just over and over again. And every other week it comes out with a, a major problem on the, on the 24 hour news cycle here. I mean, I mean, I, look, Cora, Cora was breached and we, you know, we're going to do a, last week we did a special episode on that at TF7 Extra, but what, when you think about this, you know, there's a hundred million accounts, right? And, and it comes out in, in a day, they announce it and you see it in the news, but it kind of disappears. You know, I don't know, if it was, you know whether it was because there wasn't a credit card information in that breach or what, there's a lot of different, you know, unique things about that breach that people should pay attention to, but it sort of just drifted into the obscurity. Look, I, I think the, the all of the breaches, there's just so many of them that they're like overpowering each other, if you will, in, in terms of the news headline, right? And it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost sad, right? But, you know, I can tell you that I became numb after seeing Dairy Queen being breached, you know, several years ago. And I said, I said, wow, someone actually attacked Dairy Queen. <laughs> what were you really trying to get out of that attack, right? Were you just practicing? You know, so, so when I think about that particular attack and, and, and you know, that was one of the, the telltale signs for me, like, wow, you know, they've really, you know, they being these adversaries that are, are bored, right, or, or, or just really fine-tuning their sort of weapons, um, you know, they're, they're just going after anybody and, and, any, and anything that they can just to, to continue down. But I think as a society, you know, we've, I want to say we've become numb. You almost have to have become numb because no one is really, really freaking out anymore, right? We've had this latest attack with, you know, or breach with with Marriott that was announced. And, you know, it was a lot of data that was was essentially lost. But it didn't compare to Equifax, which was, you know, last year, right? Or or early, yeah, last year, I think it was. So, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of that's that mantra of like, oh yeah, yet another breach in the news, and uh, all right, let's go on about our day because all our data is already exposed; it's already out there. I, I think you know, security industry, we need to figure out all right, how do we how do we flip the you know flip flip the script if you will and change it up. Um, I mean, you know, in, a, in an environment where your your favorite ice cream isn't even safe, right? Mm-hmm. Your favorite flavor is known to everybody. I mean, do you think that these are just distracting from staying aligned to your strategy and? and helping you achieve your objectives in your organization. Does it just get distracting all this stuff in the news? Does your, does your board get like sort of like very sort of uh, in-depth with it in terms of questions to you about, hey, could this happen to us? And you know, that sort of thing. I think what I try to express to my senior leaders is, you know, we operate on, along the lines of that sort of mindset that you're already compromised. And so if you, if you accept that sort of thought process, then all of these sorts of breaches and, and what happens in the news shouldn't distract you from your, your overall objective or your mission, right, with implementing your security function. So it's really trying to dissect your specific company and understand, all right, everything else is happening. How do we take, that, take those examples of, of, of lessons learned from those particular attacks, and how do we make sure that we're applying those sorts of uh, things internally to our environment to make sure that we don't essentially become a headline, right? right. Uh, a lot, most of these things, they come down to, you know, there's obviously some advanced persistent threats and, and, you know, we won't get into the technical nuances of that. But, you know, there's other things that are just fundamentals, right? If you think about security fundamentals and executing the fundamentals of like patch management, access management, onboarding, offboarding, you know, leveraging all of the employees that are part of your company as canaries, right? Training them and educating them as to how to be better security employees, right? Sa- operate safe, not only uh, at work, but also in their own personal life, you know, mm-hmm. all those things can contribute to a real solid security program. So what I try to do is, look, the, the breaches are going to continue, and those are the trends that I, that I 
specifically say and, and what I try to do is bring it home to how I'm managing the security program, why we're executing and driving towards the agenda that we are and why we're making the investments that we are based on our overall risk profile. So I try not to let it distract me, but it, uh, occasionally you do get, you know, one or two senior leaders that, that want to know more details and, you know, we'll answer those questions and, and you know, we'll do the standard blocking and tackling from, from that standpoint. So with the number of vendors on the market today, I mean, everybody, it's just, it, there's people introducing new products just about daily. I mean, it's crazy out there. How do you, how do you determine or distinguish between these vendors? Do you have any advice, uh, you know, about, you know, to our, to our audience about how to do that, about how to distinguish between these different products and actually select the product or service that you really need and that's best for your company? Yeah, look, I, I, I try to put vendors into uh, what I'll call two categories, right? And, and I know the vendors hate this, and I'll probably get a few hate emails after this, or, or maybe vendors call me saying, saying otherwise. But I try to put them into two categories of, are you a nice to have or a need to have, right? And really what I'm trying to do with understanding that sort of uh, model, yeah. or not so much model, but that sort of categorization is I try to relay that to vendors so that when they approach me and, and even when they approach other sort of security professionals, you know, they're thinking about not only their solution, but they're thinking about the company that they're approaching to sell their solution and figuring out, you know, is my product really something that will change or move the needle with the, that particular uh, individual, whether it's, a, you know, the, the security program or whether it's, you know, something else that, that they're focused on. So I try to think about it from that aspect. And usually what I'm trying to do is understand if you're a need to have, then am I replacing something internally because I'm, I need to have your specific product or is it really, you know, an augmentation or, or, or or just adding on to what we need to, to continue to grow and mature our program. So again, I, I don't think the vendors uh, like that or appreciate that, but I think if they were to approach me with, my, with me in mind, right, my company, my, what we're doing, what we're driving at, our level of maturity and where we are in the stage of our journey from a security standpoint, and less of, hey, buy my product because it's the latest shiny object, you know, I think they'll, they'll go further in, in not only selling their solution, but building that partnership. Because I'm not looking for vendors that are just going to sell me a product and walk away. I'm looking for those long-term partners that are really in this with me, you know, for the long haul to help me establish this program. Right, right. Do you think we've made advancements as a security industry in terms of the technologies that we now have available to us? I think we've I think we've made some interesting advancements in certain areas. Um, I, I you know I know you've had folks on here talk about things like you know artificial intelligence and machine learning and the likes, and I think those are very interesting pieces of technology. You know, there's there's um, distributed ledger in in the form of, of the use of cryptocurrency, but really distributed ledger in the form of of getting certainty in transactions, right? If you think about like supply chain risk and the likes and those use cases there, uh, I think we've made some some pretty interesting advancements in detection and and really, um, you know, I hate to use the, those buzzwords that the vendors use all the time, those marketing words, but just to relay it back so that you understand what I'm talking about, like, you know, that sort of concept of orchestration, right? So being able to do things a little bit more efficiently uh, to free up the time of your operators to kind of help with that sort of uh, shortage, if you will, right? From a from a from a talent shortage, shortage, and and really keeping individuals motivated. I do think we've made advancements in those areas, and I, and I continue to see that. You know, I see vendors pushing the envelope there. I think there's some areas that we we haven't necessarily made 
too many advancements. And, you know, it's almost evident with all of the breaches, right? If we think about the concept of having to do third-party risk assessments on all of these third-party vendors that we do business with, well, you, you know, you point to me to the, uh, you know, the, the, the spreadsheet that had all of those hundred or so questions that identified that any of these vendors would have been compromised, you know? we're falling into the model of having to do sort of compliance components, right? By, by asking these questions and doing these vendor assessments. And I, I would like to see that sort of space really start to evolve and, and maybe get into more of a continuous control monitoring, you know, and, and, uh, and having that sort of real transparency into the posture, the security posture of the vendors that I'm doing business with, right? And I'm sure, you know, we're, I'm part of the supply chain, so I'm sure vendors would like to know the same of me. So I, I think that's an area where we could spend a little bit more time yeah. um, and really, really solve some real business problems, right? And maybe, maybe, just maybe, just maybe, George, we might stop some of these breaches. I don't know. <laughs> Look, you, you brought up the cybersecurity talent crisis. And so I just want to ask you that before we get to break. And you know, what are some of the things you've done to resolve this problem? And what do you think we should be doing differently to, to address the talent shortage? I think, I think we need to approach security in our companies that, in the, in the way of everyone. So I, I have, you know, I have uh, a little over 10,000 people that work in my company. You know, those are 10,000 resources, right? Or actually, I think it's 13,000. 13,000 security resources that we can leverage. So I think one approach that I've taken is trying to leverage those individuals and train them up as much as possible to solve or to help me identify security weaknesses in the environment. And then and then work through some sort of rewarding, if you will, you know, and I, don't, I, don't, I haven't completely worked that out yet, but, you know, rewarding an employee for, for being that sort of detector, right? And whether that's a, making them a local security champion or, or, you know, shouting them out on a webpage saying, hey, thank you for, for doing good things, right? And helping us keep our environment safe. But I think that's one area uh, that you can focus on. And that's one area that I try to focus on. The other area in my, in my past, what we, you know, what we did at, at prior uh, opportunities uh, was really establish that sort of pipeline, right? Try to work with the universities. And, and I think you need to go even further, right? Get you further down in terms of like the high school age kids, right? I, I think about the, the effective sort of restaurants that sell products to little kids. And, you know, you can think about when you're hungry, you're, you're probably still thinking about these golden arches, right? Well, well, how did that start? It started because you were eating Happy Meals as a young child, right? So if we, if we take that sort of marketing mantra of getting to uh, um, this talent uh, early on in the stage of their sort of development, you know, and working with the, with the high schools and elementary schools, potentially elementary schools, you know, to, to partner and, and introduce these topics, I think we'll see a lot more of security professionals on the field uh, really getting excited and engaged about this, uh, you know, th this profession. Um, and then the other thing would be build, continue to build a pipeline with the universities and make sure that you have one or two regular universities that you participate with, that you partner with, with their, uh, their education curriculum. Um, and you can work through that, you know, and, and really, uh, really build that sort of view into providing resources or obtaining resources from those universities into your, into your company. All right, Tomas, we've got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from the Chief Information Security Officer of International Flavors and Fragrances, Mr. Tomas Maldonado. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash TF7 to request a look at Inkman SOAR live in action. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with our special guest, the Chief Information Security Officer of International Flavors and Fragrances, Mr. Tomas Maldonado. So, Tomas, I want to keep talking about a little bit about some of the main themes that are going on in cybersecurity today. Just kind of wrap that up before I get your advice on a few things. Do you think some of the latest regulations, for example, the the EU's GDPR and some of the, the Privacy Act out of California, will drive change across the companies and the industry and that we'll start to see a reversal on these number of breaches? Look, I think I think what it will drive definitely is transparency. Right? Transparency into into breaches that are occurring because of the 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 having to report. Like GDPR says you have to report a breach within seventy two hours of essentially noticing or be, or becoming aware of that particular breach. I think that those sorts of regulations like that will definitely drive more transparency into what's happening uh, in and across the, the industry, right, for every particular company. But I'm not sure and I'm not convinced that it will actually drive the change that we would want to see or that what the regulators have in terms of the spirit of what they're, 
what they're really trying to get at, which is a, a reduction in those particular breaches. And I think, I think companies are still operating very, um, very quickly and, you know, trying to continue to grow and be profitable and the likes. And there are certain areas that, you know, it's, it's a risk management decision where there's risks that are being taken and there are um, particular gaps that, that are not being addressed. So I'm not 100% sure that those regulations will actually uh, drive the, the desired change. But I know from, a, from just a general being a consumer, right, you'll have more visibility into where your data is actually being exposed. And then you need to start to take better preparedness um, preparations on your end to essentially be able to contend with those sort of uh, discoveries, if you will. So what about artificial intelligence? I mean, everywhere you go, you hear buzzwords and, and these buzzwords come up and they come and go. But AI is something that's been just, you can't go anywhere without hearing about it. And what's your take on the technology and its place in security programs? I think it's very useful for teams that are short staff and want to essentially leverage uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning to be able to correlate and, and, and create risk models and identify you know, potential attacks or, or things that are happening on the environment. I think it's also very useful for companies that are trying to uh, get it, break into new sorts of industries or, or do more with, you know, um, with data that they might already have that they've never necessarily thought about. So if you think about like marketing data or, or consumer information from surveys and the likes, I think it's very useful to be able to, to, to sort of um, use it as a prediction model or right? a prediction tool to help you in that capacity um, to make decisions or at the very least glean where you should be making decisions or going in a specific direction. Um, I think it's still very early on that, you know, there's companies that are selling these products that don't fully, um, don't fully make the distinction around AI and machine learning and are really just selling like sort of automation or correlation tools and, and with a hint of machine learning. So it's, it's very fresh. There, there are some real uh, good players in the space and I'm not going to name any, any names uh, on, on the chat, unfortunately, but because uh, I don't want it to come across as an endorsement, but there are some good players in the space that are doing really good things. Uh, I see it on the manufacturing side, you know, and areas that we're, we're looking at. Um, so be on the lookout. It's, it's really something that, that's going to change, uh, you know, how we operate. You know, I want to get your advice uh, to some of the people that are listening in on our audience on their career. Uh, and the and career management piece of what they do. A lot of people don't spend a lot of time managing their career. They spend very little time actually, you know, thinking about what to do with their career and next steps and, and, and the things that they need to do, the contacts they need to make, the business relationships. And I want to ask you in basically in two parts. One, I want to ask you what kind of advice or tips that you have for, for and to share with some of the younger folks out there navigating their way through a career now in cybersecurity. It's a very complex environment, right? And then also I want to ask, what kind of advice you have for those sort of seasoned professionals out there wanting to step into to your shoes and, and take on the challenges of being a CISO one day? Sure. So for the for those folks, you know, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take a step back. One of the best pieces of advice that I received from one of my mentors throughout my career was, you know, always approach your, your audience, you know, whether you're entering a meeting or you're working with an individual on a project, you know, Approach it from the perspective of you are listening and learning what it is that is important to them, what is driving and motivating them to achieve their goals. And leave your security agenda not behind, 
but leave it off the table for those initial conversations and really try to interweave your security agenda within the mix and flow of how they're trying to achieve their objectives, right? Because typically as security professionals, you know, what I, I know very early on where I failed, you know, was coming in and say, hey, you need to have these controls in place. You need to put in these technologies. You need to encrypt this data. You need to do X, Y, Z. And, you know, you're not listening to your stakeholders. You're not listening to your business counterparts. And you're not really understanding what's motivating and driving them to, to achieve their particular objectives. Um, so one piece of information uh, or one tip that I received, which I, I try to pass on is, is that, right? Come in, try to listen more, talk less, and then interweave your, your overall security agenda within the mix of, of what they're trying to do, and you'll be more successful, right? If you think about it as in the context of like ambient controls, right? Things that are just there and they just happen as you're going about your day. You know, if you try to think about embedding your security program within that, that sort of contract and aligning it to your business, um, you'll be more successful. I think for folks that are more seasoned, and look, I, I've been doing this for a little bit of time, but I'm sure there's, there's a lot more folks that are more seasoned than I. But um, what I will say is, you know, if someone wants to be a CISO, you, you really want to have to do this job, George. <laughs> it's It's... It's not a job that, you know, you're like, hey, you know, it, it's a great idea. Let me go be a CISO for a company. No, it's, there is stress. There is, um, you know, a lot of effort that you need to put forward. Um, it's tremendous about accountability, right? Yeah, it, it's like, you know, at any given point in time, a CISO can be fired, right? Um, because of, you know, we didn't do something, right? Or, or, or you might end up being a fall guy, which we've seen in, in, in several instances, um, you know, across the industry. But it brings a lot of risk, right? So you need to be willing to not only take that sort of personal risk, but you, have, you also have to be willing to, to want to do the job, right? It, it's not like you're going through your career and you're going to get paid tons of money because you're a CISO. You can get paid tons, you can get paid much more money doing something else than being a CISO, right? Um, those are pure facts, right? You could go yep. create an application or be a business leader, right? And, and you can probably get more money. The, the level of stress that we deal with on a daily basis, it, it's, you know, I'm losing a lot of my hair. Let's just put it that way. Um, you know what? This brings up, the, it begs the question, has there ever been a moment that you've regretted being a CISO? You know, I haven't had that moment yet. And, and I'll knock on wood, right? I, I, I think... What the reason what motive, or maybe I should say, I probably regret it when I'm on, when I've been on vacation, I've had to have that call, you know, and interrupt my, my, my personal life. But, yep. but besides that, look for the job is exciting. You know, we're seeing new things that are happening in the environment, you know, things that don't hit the media, right. Or, or, or might hit the media maybe months or, or years later. And, and it's like a surprise to everyone. Um, you know, we, we see so much in this, in this function, you know, we, we chat with our peers and see what's going on across the industry. It, it's really exciting. So I, I don't regret being a CISO. I'm, I'm actually really happy that I stepped into this role and that I had good mentors that really encouraged me to do so. So where do you see the role of the CISO going into the future? What do you think is going to happen here? Like I see, I see the CISO moving towards more of a risk manager, right? I, I, at least that's what I've tried to do with my career. Like I, I'm not, you know, I've hired people that are very technical and, and run that sort of day-to-day -day security operations source of function and do the standard blocking and tackling. But I see the CISO being more of a risk manager. I see the function being more of a, of a function that's aligned towards 
your, your typical risk functions, like if you think about like credit risk and market risk, right? You know, those sort of operational risk, those sorts of, uh, of uh, functions like that. And I think for us as CISOs that are aspiring to get closer to the business, I think that's the way we need to uh, be thinking about our, our function, uh, be thinking about where we head and really start to focus in on learning the business, uh, understanding where the business is headed and understanding how we can help the business uh, achieve their particular goals from a, from a top-line growth standpoint. So, you know, you just talk about risk. I mean, do you think that's the key trait going forward that executives and boards are going to look for in, in their new CISOs, more people, people that have more risk backgrounds and risk experience? I think they're looking for those types of people. I also think they're looking for people that they can trust. Right. You know, businesses are made, you know, over a conversation for the most part, over a conversation and whether I trust you to either buy my business and carry it forward or I trust you to, to partner with me to, you know, do you have the aptitude, do you have the skill set, do you have the talent, do you have the resources to, to essentially drive an initiative forward, right? Do I trust you? And so that, that level of trust, you know, is, is what business leaders are looking for in a, in a CISO. And, and I think, you know, CISOs need to um, articulate their security program and not overwhelm and make their audience feel like they're, you know, um, like a fifth grader, if you will, not understanding what you're talking about. You need to essentially sell your function, sell your program and, and, and put it into layman's terms, you know, as to why, why this is risky or not risky. And I think you'll see more adoption uh, in terms of uh, uh, support and the likes with, with your overall function. So I, I do see security um, business leaders looking for more of that sort of risk management mindset because you can't fix everything, right? And as you see every day you open the news, there's a company being breached. So you're not solving every single problem, but you need to be able to solve and fix the problems that really matter in your organization and, and keep the crown jewels that are going to break your organization and essentially potentially put them under, you know, keep that safe, right? And if you do that, then you're, you're I'll say, halfway or, or more than halfway there. Tomas, thanks for coming on the show, brother. I really appreciate it. I know you had a lot of things going on this week. I appreciate you spending some time with us this evening. No, I, look, I, I appreciate, uh, you know, you, you invited me to be on the show. It's, it's been a, a great opportunity for, for me. I, I know I've had to deal with a, a bit of things on you know, outside of, outside of work and, and the likes and trying to get over this code. So I sound a little hoarse. So sorry about that. But, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, hopefully this goes over well and you can invite me back and, uh, and I'm happy to come back and, and talk to your, to your audience. You can come back on the show anytime you want, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate right. you as well. Before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.